Welcome to The Hopeful Creative. I'm your host, Gina Bow, and this is where we'll talk about how to pursue living a creative life with hope. I know how difficult it can be to do your creative thing while facing the dragons of comparison, rejection, resistance, and despair, but there is a way to do what you love to put good and beautiful things out into the world. So listen in as we talk about how to pursue your creative calling with hope and purpose. Welcome back to another episode of The Hopeful Creative. I am thrilled that you are back joining me again today. I get the privilege of introducing you to my dear friend, Lee Black, today. Lee is a songwriter and artist originally from Monroeville, Alabama, currently residing in Nashville. I met Lee years ago when we began writing together and we were eventually at the same publishing company together. And over the years, he and his wife, Melissa, and their family have become dear friends of ours. And Lee and Melissa have opened their home to me over the years as I have made trips to Nashville and let me stay at their house. And they've been such gracious hosts and really have become family to us over the years. So really grateful for their friendship. Uh, Lee is currently a writer with Daywind Publishing. He's also a singer with the group Legacy 5 and tours regularly with them. Lee and I talked today about his writing journey and how he navigates the roller coaster ride that is the music industry. And we also talk about a new project that he has just released. It's a Christmas EP called Tis the Season. It's a collection of three songs that he has written and is finally sharing them with you as the artist. And so we'll talk about that and how those songs were written and how that project came together. You are thoroughly going to enjoy hearing Lee talk about his life and music and writing and all the things. So with no further ado, let me introduce you to my friend, Lee Black. Lee Black, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. This is feels like it's been a long time coming. I mean, we've been friends for a long time and obviously co-writers for a long time, but I don't know that we've ever really talked about doing a podcast thing, but it feels like (laughs) it feels like a natural thing that we should just get together and talk about what we love to do. So absolutely. And you have a new project coming out that we're going to talk about here in a little bit, but for those people listening that don't know who you are, um, Give me the, let's do a five minute deep dive into who is songwriter Lee Black. You have five minutes to tell your life story. Everybody cares about that. Yeah. Uh. Well, (laughs) shockingly, there will be some people listening who do care. Awesome. Um, uh, you mean like, when did I start writing and all? Yeah. When did you get bit by the songwriting bug? And then kind of what, what has that journey looked like for you? You know, I wanted to be a writer before I wanted to be a songwriter. Um, and I tell people this all the time, but I have I have this vivid memory of being with my parents. They went to England when I was eight or nine and um, uh, just a sightseeing trip. And I have this vivid memory of being in a London bookstore and my dad looking for this book and... Um, you know, I, I said, why, why are you looking for a book in England, you know, when I'm thinking we could get this? And he said, the lady that wrote this book is from our hometown. Um, and it just fascinated me that I think even at that age, I had this sense that I'm from a hick town in Alabama. 
And there is somebody who is popular enough mm-hmm. to book that people in England even know about her and her book. And so I didn't know anything about her. I didn't know anything about the book, but I just had this sense of if I want to be bigger than my little bitty town, I'm going to have to do it writing. And, and so I had this, this desire then to be a writer, um, not knowing what that meant. The book was To Kill a Mockingbird. I was going to say, let's, let's tell everybody who that was, because yeah. I think people will be fascinated by just knowing who, who you grew up with. Yeah, uh, Nell Harper Lee. And, and my father said, you know, she's from our hometown. She's a family friend. And again, I was just fascinated that from my little nowhere town, somebody had written a book that apparently people all over the world knew about. And, you know, I know that's not enough to, um, to, to fuel a career, just, you know, (laughs) knowing that somebody from your town did something and that makes you want to do it. I think I was, I had a bent towards that. I've always Mm -hmm. been owner. I've always liked, uh, putting my thoughts on paper, um, uh, you know, just a vivid memory of like an early middle school teacher um, calling me after class one day and saying we had a writing assignment. And um, he said, did you write this? And I was like, well, well, yeah, of course I did. It's my work. You know, I, I, you, you gave us an assignment. I did it. And he (laughs) said, this is really good. Mm -hmm. And I just had this sense of go, it's, it's made me think about, the power of encouragement and and wanting to be that person for other people because one man's compliment, my teacher's compliment, made me think, I could be a writer. I could be a writer. He recognizes something in me, and it just mm-hmm. it pulled something. But I think, you know, I've, I've always had a bent toward it. I mean, I've always loved words. I've always... Um, my childhood, I spent a whole lot of a, a whole lot of it at a picnic table under an oak tree in my backyard reading, um, and making up stuff, making up stories, drawing, painting, that kind of stuff. So I think I've always wanted to be a creator, and somewhere along the way, that just kind of morphed into songwriting. Um, you know, twelve, thirteen, I was listening to Billy Joel and Lionel Richie. You know, just trying to write cheesy pop love songs that were awful and <laughs> thankfully been lost to time. But, um, you know, that's, that's about when it started. Then in college, um, I majored in music ed. I don't know that I wanted to teach. I thought initially I would like go to seminary and get a, a like a master's in church music. Uh, I went to a state school. And so the closest thing I could get to a church music degree was music ed. Uh, cause I wanted the conducting and, and voice and piano kind of stuff that I thought I would use there and then got out of college and um, visited a couple of seminaries in the denomination that I grew up in. And uh, I just thought, I don't want to spend any more time in school. And mm-hmm. I always wanted to move to Nashville since I found out about Music Row. And um, so Melissa, my wife and I got married in 92 and she was crazy enough to think that, hey, maybe it's a good idea to move to Nashville and try to write songs. And so, so we did, you know, and I had a little bit of success then um, not enough to write home about, but enough to make me, again, make me think I could do this. And mm-hmm. so I kept plowing along, working my day job and trying to write sporadically. Um, we moved back to Alabama to help plant a church. We were there for about nine years and um, 
things kind of got wonky there, as churches tend to do. Yes. uh, We moved back to the Nashville area about 12 years ago now. And um, songwriting has never been a full-time job for me. It's a healthy part-time job. Um, I would love to be at the place where I just write, um, and, and not just songs. I love writing, you know, but, but writing songs, writing um, essays, memoir, poetry, all of that. Mm-hmm. Fine. So I'd love to be at the place where, you know, that would pay for my life. But unfortunately, for 30 plus years, it has not. So I found, found ways to, to make it work. And so far it has. And I think that's one of the things that I tell people a lot is, you know, you, you can make it work. You can find a way sure. to do it, but it's, it is a juggling act with usually you, for most people, I mean, you and I have a few friends that that's all they do is write, yeah, but, absolutely. but those numbers are really becoming pretty small. Yeah, and I think if you, if you talk to places like NSAI, the National Songwriters Association International, um, they will tell you that those staff writing jobs have gone down drastically over the years. And I think most people who would tell you they're a songwriter, they're this or that, they got side hustles, you know, sure. they're, just, they're, they're doing whatever it takes to, to make the dream work. And I had the chance to interview our friend, Joel Lindsay, a while ah, back. Yes. And, and I, we were talking about the day that we decided to put on like a job application or something like that. Like, what, what do you do? Or, or yeah. a, a health insurance form or whatever, what do you sure. do? And I remember when I wrote down songwriter for the first time and it wasn't because that was my full-time income. It's just, yeah. I, I had to, in my mind, claim that role. There's, and there's something there's, about just saying that's what I do and that's there, who I am. There is. And I don't know what it is, but when I finally got to the, because we all fear that question of, well, what do you, what do you write that I know? You know, well, chances are nothing. And so that all <laughs> freaked me out. You know, I make a good bit of my living now writing songs and I still fear the question, you know, sure, outside of my little niche that you don't know anything I've written, but that doesn't, I, and so I finally got to that point of going, nobody ever asks a plumber well, whose toilet that I know <laughs> did you fix? You know, we just take them that they fix toilets and leaky faucets, you know? And so I had to get over that thing of going, Ugh, you might not know anything that I've written. And that's right. okay. That's okay. There are people who do, and there are people who record my songs, and they get played on the radio enough, and they get recorded enough that it helps me make a living. And I think there's something to be said for... I'm sorry. My my dog is still growling in the background. I, I didn't hear it that time. Well, you know what? I said from early on, this podcast was just going to be pretty real life. And so well, this is go. what you're getting. So anyway. Yes. Um, we just need a kid to call any second. Yeah, that that's probably like going to happen for one of yeah. us. Yeah. Um, I think there's also, shoot, what were we talking about? <laughs> about about just getting over the thing of, of calling yourself a writer, which I think is it's a huge thing, especially if you haven't had much success you you hate to go out on a limb and tell somebody you're a writer and it's so dumb but it absolutely helps a switch flip in your brain to go yes this thing this is who I am this is what I do well and I think you you get to a point in your life where you realize that it isn't about 
anybody knowing what you've done that makes you either makes you a writer or makes you love the writing. Yeah. You, you, you are a writer because you love to write. You love the yes. process. You don't, you don't love the accolades or financial, you know, successes or failures. It's the right, it's the work that you love. And so yeah. when, when you get to that point, then you, when you can really own that and that becomes the core thing of what you want to do, Yes. then I think you're okay with going, well, you don't know anything I've written, but I, but that's yep. who I am. I'm a writer. Yep. So, okay. So in the time that we've known each other, which has probably been, I don't know, 15 years, maybe. Yeah. Um, we've seen a lot of changes in the mm -hmm. music industry. Um, I think when you and I both worked for the same publishing company, there were a lot of people who were full-time writers. Yeah. And even in the, you know, the 15 years since then, um, that has changed a lot. The The digital world has changed, you know, what we do in, oh in tremendous goodness. ways. Um, and so even in that short amount of time, there have been so many ups and downs, not to mention all the personal ups and downs that we've experienced, you know, with losing parents and kids yeah. getting kids getting married and, you know, so many job changes and opportunities and all that, that you know, the roller coaster is real. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, and I know you and I've had con many conversations about when one of us will be like <laughs> in the depths of despair going, <laughs> I'm done. I quit. Yeah. I'm never yeah. doing this again. And then, yeah. you know, I know for both you and I, usually our spouses or another writer or even one of our kids, you know, kind of pulls us up out of the gutter and, yep talks us off of a ledge or whatever, but what are the things that you have done personally to kind of maybe even out the roller coaster a little bit, yeah. like to, to not let yourself get in those deep, dark places, but right. then also not, you know, to, to obviously celebrate the, the successes and the highs, but recognize that's just part of it. Yeah. And I think you touched on that even just a minute ago, talking about it and, and, we were, you and I were both part of Sue Smith's great conference, right about Jesus, just a few weeks back. And I said something about this then. Um, I had had one of those particularly hard weeks, um, uh, just with stuff going on in the music industry and um, just, just junk that really got me down. And I remember thinking, I quit. I just, I quit. I can't do this anymore. I feel like this is doing more harm to my family than it is good. And I'm sitting, <laughs> I'm sitting at my kitchen table right now, looking out at the, uh, the shrubbery in front of my front porch. And I remember standing there with those lopping shears and just taking it out on a bush. <laughs> just, I quit. I am done. I quit. I quit. I quit. And I heard the voices in my head going, what, why, why would you feel compelled to want to put all of life in a verse and a chorus? And I heard a little voice say, well, you're called to do it. It's calling. And I said to myself, no, it feels more like a curse. And the little writer voice in my head said, you know, if you flipped <laughs> chorus and verse, that would be a really cool rhyme with curse. And I thought, see, even the dogs agree with me. I know, um, I know. He's hearing um, you. Um, I, and so I was going, well, chorus and verse. 
calling or curse. And I thought, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> you can't turn it off. And I thought, I cannot, I cannot turn this thing off. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to tell yourself that you're not going to be who you are. And that was as dumb as it sounds. That was such an epiphany for me. And I, so right then and there, just made up my mind, okay, this is one of the most frustrating industries that you could ever want to be a part of. You just got to come to terms with, it's going to be like that. But you you said it a minute ago, just enjoy in the journey. Mm-hmm. I love the writing part. Right. I do. It's the best. Of, it's the best of the best. I feel most alive when I'm creating something like that. I feel most frustrated when this industry <laughs> yeah. is this industry. And I thought, I focus too much on that. And if I just focus on the writing part and rest in Providence, as easy, cheesy as that sounds, the rest of it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. I trust that it is. And so since that moment, like 10 years ago, you know, there's been such a change in me. Hmm. Um, yes, it's still frustrating because, sure, you know, you know how it is. You hear way more no's than you hear yeses, and mm-hmm. you just okay with that. This is if 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 you're the kind of person that needs affirmation with everything, this is not the business for you. But if yeah. you're with just creating and working hard at your craft and getting better and better and better. But resting in that and, and creating great product and then trusting, trusting all of that. Yeah. I had a bit of a conversation with somebody earlier today. <laughs> this is, I had a doctor's appointment this morning and then I ended up at Hobby Lobby, you know, getting sucked into all the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all the merch. Yeah. Um, and in the midst of walking the aisles at Hobby Lobby, I got a phone call from a writer And she said, Hey, can we just talk for a minute? And I'm like, sure. And so she kind of described a situation that she was facing with something in the, in the industry. Mm. And I listened to her for a while and she was, you know, she was frustrated. She was hurt. She was confused. Um, just a whole lot of things. And I listened for a while and, and I, I basically said, you know, to her a little bit of what you said earlier that. I'd like to tell you that this is going to be different someday, or I'd like to tell you that this is solvable or this is, you know, like, or that this is a unique situation that you're finding yourself in. But I said, the truth is, this is just the industry. This is just the music business. And this is where you get to make a choice. You get to make the choice that I can play in that playground and find a way to be happy and find a way to enjoy the process or I can walk away from all that and, and go somewhere else where I use my gifts and my abilities and I write and, and yeah. I find joy in that. And so there yeah. does, and you know, there does come a point where it's like, I, okay, I want to be a writer in that world, or I want to be a writer in an, in another way. And, yeah. and there's no right or wrong. It's just, you got to figure out for yourself where you can find the most joy in the journey and when you can find the most peace in where God has you, yep. and you know, it, it, and that's I, hard. It is. It absolutely is. And I think for me lately, um, it's it's funny how 
on one hand, I'm cheering for my friends when they get have success. And then I'm also, I'm competing with you. Mm-hmm. I'm competing with all of my friends. We're going after the same slots on the same records. And it feels like those slots get smaller and smaller, especially in a digital world where people might not be doing full length albums anymore. They're doing, you know, smaller EPs. And yeah, it is those, a unique industry and where that your best friends are your fiercest competitors. Yes, it's weird. And so on that one hand, I'm, I'm cheering and I'm, I'm excited for, for my friends when they have success. And then there's that part of me going, well, dadgum, they mm-hmm. took the slot from me. And so for me lately, especially in a digital age that you talked about, how it's changed everything, where I'm going, and again, I don't know why I'm just now arriving at this conclusion of going, I've got all these songs. The slots are getting fewer and fewer. Why am I not recording them for myself and releasing them and trying to build my own audience? And so, you know, I'm, I'm doing that now. I'm, mm-hmm. It's low burn, but I'm really kind of enjoying that of going, you know, even, even if you're not, we sometimes writers don't call themselves artists, but they are. They mm-hmm. have and trying to look at myself as an artist now and go, okay, if nobody else is going to cut this song, I love this song. I want it to have, you know, we all want our art on the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want my songs heard. So why am I not recording them and releasing them to the world? And yeah, It's easier to do that. Like- it's easier to do that now than ever, which yes. is, is great. It, I think it's harder... <laughs> it can be harder to get an audience because there's so much music being put out. But I think you have found this in recent days as you've gotten ready to release this Christmas project. And I discovered this as I was, you know, putting my book and record out that you, you get to flex other creative muscles. Yep. And that has been really fun for me, like creating videos and even, The st- all the stuff you have to do for all the social media things, which could take up an, you know most of yeah. your time. But, but I've tried to look at that as not a burden, but really a, a, a blessing of an opportunity to be able to flex different creative muscles. And I, I yes. like being the one to call those shots, you know? Yes. And produce it like I want to. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Well, the other thing I wanted to talk about before we talk about your Christmas project real quick here is um, we have also had the opportunity, well, a couple different things. I wanted to to mention that I think one of the things that both you and I have discovered is helpful in the songwriting journey is when we have tried to write other things. Like I know you and I mm. both are trying to write books and we've, yeah. we've written yeah. Broadway musicals together. And, yeah. you know, I think that kind of helps you take a deep breath and and kind of get your bearings again and remind yourself yeah. why why yeah. you like the creative process. So I always recommend that to other people. It's like if you're frustrated by this thing that you're stuck in, go write something else. Oh, you know? absolutely. Yeah. I saw not too long ago this little um uh this writing um challenge pop up in my Facebook feed and um it was a rhyming story challenge, and uh, I read it to Melissa. You know, I guess I've, I've, I've Googled and searched so many writing sites that Big Brother knows you and is populating. <laughs> the 
with things that you might have interest in. And so I'm reading this, reading this um, challenge about um, this rhyming story challenge, 600 words. They give you three prompts and you have to write a story with these, th these three things. And she was like, Oh my gosh, that's got your name all over it. Do it. And I was like, when am I going to find time? She's like, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> Had an absolute blast. 600 words, three prompts, and it had to be done in a week. And it was so much fun. Mm -hmm. But yes, that stuff like that kind of, again, it's just the writing process. It makes right. me alive. And um, it reminds you why you love it. Yes, it absolutely yeah. does. Because it's easy, you know, now that I've said resting in Providence and letting, letting the business side take care of itself we still, it's hard to turn that part off when you're, you know, when you've, when you've got a publisher that you're writing for and you're trying to make a quota and they're sending out, you know, who's looking for what and, and you flip into that mode of, well, I've got to write this, I've got to write this. Just to, like you said, to go a completely different direction and write something that's so out of the norm for you mm -hmm. that I just had a blast for the, the three or four days that I worked on that thing. That's so, much so cool. Yeah. The other thing that you and I have been faced with in recent years is um, we happen to have raised some children who <laughs> have, <laughs> have caught the writing bug themselves. Yes. And we've watched them jump on this roller coaster. And I think, you know, it's again, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, we, we were thrilled that they love writing, but we also kind of know the road that's ahead of them. Yes. And I think we are, our heart breaks for knowing, you know, yep. the heart, the heartbreak that they're going to face. But, um, I think that's been really enjoyable for both of us to go, you know what, maybe, maybe all of my journey, it, it's not all about my journey and, and yes. it's about showing, yeah. showing my journey to my yeah. kid who, you know, and I've got kids who dabble in lots of different creative ways. And so it's, you know, we, we, we both do and helping them navigate that has been a, a challenge and a joy. Yeah. And there was that part of me wanting to go, just go get an accounting degree, go mm -hmm. get a teaching certificate, go be a nurse, do something and spare yourself the heartbreak. But then the other part of me going, I can't imagine denying that for somebody because I know you know, I felt the pressure early on to not do, to not be a writer. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, I, I'm still wrestling that 30 years later. Um, and I don't want to put that pressure on my kids. If they want, if, if they are so energized by the thought of that, what can I do? What can I do to help you get further down the road? Let me just, if it's, if it's nothing more than just being an encouragement to say, I believe in you. You can absolutely do this. Go do it. Because yes. I don't battle anybody with 40 years <laughs> that they hate. Yeah. You know, is it going to be hard? Yes. Are there going to be days when you regret it? Probably. But when you get that thing that you've written and it's just right and you're completely satisfied with it, you're going to be so fulfilled and hopefully there's going to be a reading or listening world that's going to embrace it and you're going to get paid for it. Yep. So. Yep. Yep. That's part of the fun. Part of the fun is watching their journey. So, yep. well, let's talk about this new Christmas little project you've got going hey, here. Yeah. It came out today as we're recording today. this. 
Yes. Very exciting. It's called Tis the Season. Yeah. Uh, three songs. Tell me, tell me why this project, why now, and what you're excited about. Um, I did a record last year of some modern hymns. Um, I, I think I learned to write songs by reading the hymnal in church. You know, there was no such thing as kids' church, children's church back then. So you got kicked out of the nursery and it was straight to the church. <laughs> and just to pass the time during a message, I read hymnals. And so I kind of fell in love with that language and that cadence and those melodies and um, writing them felt like a natural place when I started writing songs. And for some reason, they're just really, really hard to get cut. And um, so my publisher, Rick Shelton at Daywind, um, said, well, let's just, you know, let's pick out some and, and record those. And I loved that process of just, you know, kind of A&Ring my own record of going, I love, I mean, they, they absolutely spoke into it too, but just narrowing it down and going, these are the ones that I want to record. And I love that process. And so um, I just, I wanted something that as the season turned to Christmas, I wanted something that would, I, I've had some streams, I've had some radio success with that. And I wanted something that would fill the void for November and December. And so I started looking through my catalog. Goodness knows, you know how it is. We write, we write <laughs> All year long so we've got tons of these songs in our catalogs and so I would eventually love to do a full-length Christmas record and I, I feel I feel like when you do that you have to put some <laughs> you have to put the traditional stuff on there but mm -hmm. I heard some original songs and there were there were three that were um, just really special to me um, I, so I picked those and I, I tour with a southern gospel group called Legacy Five and our piano player, Garrett Anderson, just an amazingly talented kid. Um, great piano player, great producer, um, just really good in the studio. And so I asked him if he would produce it and he produced a bluegrass track for me and he did uh, like a, a country-ish ballad and then just a piano ballad, piano and pad ballad only um, of, of these three songs. And I'm so happy with the way they turned out. He did a great job. It's so good. It's so oh, thank good. You. And so one of the songs, Getting Ready for a Baby, that's uh -huh. been, that, that's been recorded. It was cut, uh, cut by yep. the Oak Ridge Boys. Is that right? It was, yeah, it's been cut by the Oak Ridge Boys. It was cut by a bluegrass band as well. And I can't remember who that was. Now, it's, been, it's been cut a few times, but just always one of those that I wrote it with Sue Smith and Jerry Sally, probably, gosh, 12 or 13 years ago. I think the Oak Ridge Boys cut it 10 years ago. Hmm. But it's just been one of those that I've always thought I would love to have my own recording of it. And I thought, time's a ticking. Let's do yeah. it now. Yeah. Yeah. The third, the third uh, track is He Made a Way in a Manger. And I, yeah. first, I first became aware of that song when I was a children's director at a church. Oh, wow. And we were looking for songs for our Christmas program. And oh. I found that song. I mean, that was long before I knew you. Yeah. I mean, that song is, is... That's probably 20 years old. Yeah. So I, yeah. I mean, that was... I remember when I met you thinking, oh, I remember... Because, you know, as a songwriter, I look at, I look at sure. all the songwriters' I, names I and I'm like, oh, do too. Yeah. we used that song of yours in our Christmas program. So that was yeah, fun. That was, uh, um, I worked for a while at Integrity Music. I worked in music publishing 
And um, so there was this unwritten rule that, um, you know, if you're working on the publishing side of the desk, you are not a writer anymore. And again, you can't turn it off. Mm-hmm. So they were they were gracious to me. Um, anytime like 11th hour kind of needs came around and nobody had turned in a song that, that fit the bill, um, they would let me write for it. And the A&R director, we had a, we had a children's series called Shout Praises Kids. Um, and we would take the most popular CCLI worship songs of the day, record them with fun tracks and get kids' voices on them. So it was worship songs for kids. And we were going to do the very first Christmas um, collection. And we needed one more song. And the A&R director told me about a card that he had gotten. Um, and on the front was a manger with the baby Jesus in it. Um, and the front of the card said, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. And he said, "You oh, and it's a simple pencil sketch. So manger, baby Jesus, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The, uh, and you open it up and there's a cross with Jesus on the cross mm. with his head slumped over after he's died. And it said the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. He was I want a lyric that says that. Wow. And so um, I wrote that lyric and a guy named Steve Merkel um, wrote that. Mm. Number. And it was on that Shout Praises Kids record. I thought that would be the only use for it. And uh, there haven't been too many Chris- Christmases between then and now that it hasn't, you know, been recorded somewhere. Choral yeah, I was going to say, I've seen it a lot. So And, and even adults, you know, I, and I thought it was just this one time kids thing so it was it was special to me we were talking about song i was talking about these potential songs with my family and my (laughs) my family was like well you gotta you gotta record you made a way to major i was like yeah probably not no you (laughs) and so it was interesting yesterday uh my oldest maggie was here with with my first grandson gus um she was visiting for the afternoon and she said she was listening to the songs and she said, this is like a a snapshot of my childhood because, you know, they're all older songs. Um, But she was like, I just, I have vivid memories of these as a kid. A cool moment for me to go, my kids, I might not leave them a lot of earthly things, but I'm going to leave them um, some songs that I think are really cool memories for them. Songs that, that they are absolutely in, um, and songs that, that 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 they just attach memories to, and there's something cool about that. And it's funny, my my kids. There are songs that that they would say that about too. Every once in a while, Houston will text me from college, and he will have listened to something, and he's like, "That's that's my childhood. That song. Wow. I remember. I yeah. remember when you wrote that. I remember when we talked about this." And yeah. so, which is fun because sometimes you sometimes you wonder if they. Yeah. If, they care at all what you do. <laughs> well, yeah, and I can't tell you how many times um, you and I wrote a Christmas musical for uh, you, you and I wrote a Christmas musical for Lilliness called "Sing the Glory." Mm. What, probably ten years ago? Yeah, quite a while. Um, and <laughs> uh, sometimes my kids, just out of the blue, in this old church lady voice, will go sing the glory, and I go, "Okay." <laughs> mocking me now they go no i love that song <laughs> well that's good to hear yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I'm excited for this Christmas thing. Um, there's Thank also a, a bluegrass song on here, Heaven and Nature Singing, which is awesome. And did you, oh. did I hear, did you sit, did you text in our little group thing that you wrote that with Ben's story? I did. Ben and I wrote that. Oh my goodness. Again, probably 15, 20. Wow. And Ben, who is one of the funniest people oh on gosh. the planet. I'm, I need to have him on sometime. And- you do. Which is funny because he's a counselor, and so yes, yeah, the, but such a talented writer. Oh my gosh, yes, yeah. So he'd be a great guest to have on and just talk about, you know, again, somebody who's taken a completely different career path, but yeah, yeah, you know, is is such a talented writer and ridiculously funny. I wish he would come out with a comedy album. So absolutely. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I'm thank sure you it's- for asking. This will not be the last time that you are a guest on this podcast. Okay. I will be begging right. for more, <laughs> more conversations whenever All new right. projects come out or whatever. Okay. So and we, I, we should talk sometime about your hymns project. That would be really oh, fun. Okay. I would love to. We would totally do that. So anyway. Okay. All right. Thanks a bunch. Thank we you. Will, uh, we'll talk soon. Well, you can find Lee's new project, Tis the Season, anywhere music is streamed, and I will post links to it on our show notes as well so that you can go and get yourself in the Christmas spirit and enjoy the music that Lee has put out. I know you're going to love it. I know it's going to put you in the Christmas spirit. So go check it out. And thank you again for being here for another episode of The Hopeful Creative, and we will see you next time. Hey everybody, welcome to the first episode of The Hopeful Creative for the year 2023. I am very glad you are here. If you're back with me for the new episodes, welcome back. If this is the first time that you're tuning in, I'm glad you have found this podcast and I'm excited about just sharing a little bit of my life with you, but also a little bit from people that I um, am excited to introduce you to. Uh, creatives who I think are doing incredible work and I think are putting good good things out into the world and I want you to get to know them a little bit. So in the weeks to come, there will be lots of new people for you to meet. We'll also be talking with some people that maybe you've heard from before, um, some regular guests, and we'll revisit some of the things that we've talked about in 2022. But overall, I just I'm ready to dive into some new conversations and yeah, just encourage you hopefully in your own creative journey and uh, help you learn how to be purposeful with your creativity, whatever that looks like for you, whatever artistic discipline that is in your life. Um, I just want you to be able to be purposeful with that and approach it from a place of serving the world and the people around you and giving hope to the people around you. So I wanted to start out this podcast and this year actually with sharing a little bit of my personal approach to 2023 and a little bit of looking back as well over the past couple of years and why I have chosen to implement certain things into my days for the coming year. So to start with, um, I just want to wrap up a couple of things um, as far as like what my life looked like in the past couple of years. And some of you are familiar with this and some of you may not be, but 
Um, I'm kind of an open book when it comes to my life and you can really get to know me through my blog and through my books and things like that. But um, yeah, I just feel like the, the I'm not an expert on anything. <laughs> I feel like I feel like the only thing I'm an expert on is my own life. And so if I'm going to share anything with any knowledge that might be of some help to you, um, again, the only place that I really feel like an expert is on my own experience. So that's what I'm going to share with you. Um, most of you know probably that in the very end of 2020, I was diagnosed with invasive breast cancer. And so for me, 2021 was pretty much consumed with that journey. Um, my treatment, multiple surgeries, more treatment, a lot of time just spent in recovery. Um, and so that occupied most of my thoughts and my energy and even my creative life. Um, so that was a big part of 2021. The other thing that really occupied my my time and emotions and all that was launching my two youngest kids into their new seasons of life. Um, my third child moved to a different city. Um, yes, you're going to hear my dog barking. That's just life in my house. So um, launching my, my son... Uh, into his new journey living in a different city and pursuing his creative life and then launching my youngest my fourth child uh, into his college experience in Arizona and so that getting them ready and settled and um, dropped off and the, their respective new homes um, occupied a lot of my thoughts in that year as well so between between cancer and those kids. Um, that's kind of what life looked like for me in 2021. In 2022, um, a lot of my time and energy and resources and emotions and all that uh, went into the launching um, or the completion and launching of a new book and record called Hope Deserves an Anthem. And Hope Deserves an Anthem is really my account of life as I knew it through this journey with cancer, but also just my encouragement to creatives to kind of do their thing. And um, yeah, mem part memoir, part inspiration, all that kind of stuff. And so um, that is what 22 really was consumed with for me. So as I wrapped up 2022 and decided to assess where I was at and consider my approach to 2023, it was really good for me to just kind of list out what the last couple of years have looked like and, and do some writing and, and journaling and thinking about all that. So this year, um, I'm coming into a new year, uh, still in treatment, but feeling better physically. I'm very grateful for how I feel. Um, I don't feel like I want to feel, <laughs> but I feel better than I did. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, anybody who's doing the kind of treatment that I'm currently doing knows that um, there is a certain energy that you don't have necessarily. I mean, everybody feels differently when they're on the meds that I'm on. But um, for me, it affects my energy and my pain level and things like that. And so while it's still, a, I guess, a daily thing for me, um, I don't feel like it's occupying as much of my thoughts as it did. And I'm really grateful for that because I'm ready to let other things occupy those thoughts. 
Um, so for me, there's new projects that I want to tackle. There are new books um, that I'm writing and one project in particular, which is my first big work of fiction, um, which is coming. It's actually a, um, an outgrowth of another big project, which I'll tell more about that later. But um, so yeah, I'm digging into that. There are a couple of other things that I'm writing, um, obviously continuing to write songs and excited about some possibilities there. So yeah, overall, um, just a lot of creative work that I want to do and um, very thankful that I feel like I have the energy um, and the capacity to at least begin to tackle those things. Um, I also am taking on a couple of new roles. Um, job wise that I'm very excited about and I'll talk more about that later as well but um, yeah I just feel like I'm heading into a new season and praying with every day that uh, the place that cancer has held in my life um, will become farther and farther into the distant past so that's what I'm praying toward. So anyway, my hope in sharing this part of my journey with you and kind of my plan for this year is, I guess, just to give you an example of what some options are for you. I'm not one of those people that says, hey, here's what I'm doing and you should do it too. Because I think if there's one thing I've learned about myself over the years, it's that everybody has their own path and everybody has their own things that work for them. And for me, it's been a lot of trial and error um, to figure out what makes me feel most creative and what makes me feel like I am most productive. And um, that changes from season to season and year to year. And um, it's really dependent on the roles that I have. And, and, you know, these days it's dependent on how I'm feeling and um, so anyway, all that to say, this is just me sharing a little bit of my journey with you to kind of give you some ideas of some things that might be options for you as well. So there are, um, the first thing I did this year and heading into the new year was kind of write down some big goals for myself in the area of creativity. And, um, those are things that I mentioned earlier, the books, the songs, the, the blogs, more of this podcast, and then, uh, the other, um, kind of job responsibilities that I have. But there are four really specific things that I wanted to implement this year, and I'll explain why for each of them. But um, these four things are really designed to help me reach my bigger goals for the year. And so hopefully these four things, um, and some of them are things that I've tried to tackle time and time again, and I think I just have a new approach to them this year, and that's what I'm most excited about. So. Number one, uh, the first thing that I wanted to address this year was kind of my relationship with social media. And this has kind of been um, a growing thing in my life as far as my uh, feeling unsettled in my relationship with social media. So here's my approach for this year and here's why. Um, my daughter and I both decided to do this, but was to, um, our, our idea was to set really specific time limits on our social media interaction. And so for me, what that is going to look like is I have a 30 minute limit um, on my phone on social media. And so my apps go, um, they're not accessible after 30 minutes. And um, I can, right now it's set up where I have the password and I can give myself more time, but um, I can also have somebody else have 
access to the password and change it if I feel like I'm not able to do it on my own. I'm not above <laughs> getting help in that department. If I need somebody to like help me with the process, I'll do that. Um, so right now it's 30 minutes a day for me to be able to get online, post the things that I need to post as far as things that will help me in my business and with my music career and my writing career and all of those things. But 30 minutes for me is enough time to be able to get on, make the posts that I need to make, comment on the posts that I need to comment on as far as people that have commented on my own posts. Um, it gives me a little bit of a time to scroll and catch up with friends, but honestly, not much. Um, and I don't really want that in my life right now. And it's not a reflection of me not wanting to be engaged with those people in my life. But I feel like in this season, I want to be more intentional about the um, other kinds of interactions that I can have with them, calling them on the phone, meeting people for coffee, um, FaceTiming with people that I don't live in the same area with. Um, so be more intentional about the kind of communication that I want to have with him. Um, and also, I just was seeing in my own life what other people's posts were doing to my mood. And I wanted to limit that. And I'll just give you an example. Um, we all kind of fall victim to the whole social media, seeing somebody post something. They look like they are living the perfect life. It makes us feel like we are not living the perfect life. And then we fall into this deep, dark hole of second guessing our choices and examining our relationships and whatever else. And I just didn't want to even have access to those kinds of thoughts or emotions. Um, and I feel like, for example, if something happens in my family that I want to share with people, if I want to share it with people that I think have an interest in it, or they, um, are people that I engage with on a regular basis or even family that I don't engage with on a regular basis, I can text them a picture of whatever happened. I don't have to put it out there for social media for the world to see. Um, now there are people that um, I interact with on a business level that have some interest in that. And because I have kind of put myself out there with my books and my blog and all that, Occasionally, there will be personal things that I post, but very, very limited. Otherwise, if there are things I want to share with people that I care about, I'm just going to text it to them and or email it to them and interact with them that way. So that's part of why I'm putting that limit on social media. So that's the first thing. 30 minutes of social media a day. Other than that, the apps go silent. Um, the second thing that I've implemented is yoga. Now. I have been encouraged by nearly every medical professional that I work with, <laughs> whether there is, um, this is, uh, sorry, my phone is dinging. Okay, here we go. Um, every medical professional that I work with, my oncologist, my radiation oncologist, my occupational therapist, my physical therapist, I have been told over and over and over again how good yoga would be for me in relationship to um, the things that my body has been through, uh, especially in the area of the radiation treatments that I went through. Um, what a lot of people don't know about radiation is that when you go through radiation, um, at least the kind of radiation that I had for breast cancer, the effects of radiation actually 
have an impact on your body for two years. Like you kind of get worse for two years before um, it's kind of stabilized. And so for me, that means like I have, I have two years from the time that I finished radiation to kind of get my body to a place that I want it to be. After that two year mark, I'm kind of stuck with whatever condition my body is in. So I'm a year out from radiation. I finished in radiation, or I finished my treatment uh, at the end of August 2021. So I'm just over a year past the end of that treatment. And I have been in physical therapy, occupational therapy ever since then. Um, and so the one thing I have not done has a yoga is, has been to do a yoga practice. So, um, I've been really frustrated with where I'm at physically. And so I decided this is the time, this is the year to (laughs) do this yoga thing and see if it helps. So, um, my new friend, Amy, who's also a breast cancer survivor posted on her Instagram story uh, a couple weeks ago, something about a program that was being uh, offered by a friend of hers. So I signed up for the first one week trial period. And so I started that uh, on Monday, uh, whatever that January 2nd was. Yeah. Second. And so I started that and I am, uh, going to do her monthly program. It's like $12 a month and I can put information in the show notes about what I'm actually doing. Um, but I'm very committed to seeing if this will be beneficial to me. Now, the thing about yoga (laughs) for me is that it is like the anti Gina experience. It is getting yourself quiet and focused and, and still in some respects and being really patient and um, I'm so not those things naturally. And so this is a, I'm finding it to be a big challenge for me, um, but that's okay. I, I, I'm committed to it. I, I want it to be a good thing in my life. And so I know it's gonna take a little while for me to get comfortable with it. Um, and even just physically with what I'm capable of doing, it's gonna take a little while, but I am, <laughs> I am so inflexible. I'm so, it takes a lot for me to like just quiet myself. And um, it's not that I don't like to be alone because trust me, I am an introverted heart. I love being alone. Um, So that's not the issue. The issue is uh, just getting myself quiet for a long period of time and allowing my body to do what it needs to do by using that practice. So anyway, Ooh, it's gonna it's gonna be a challenge for me, but I'm committed to it, and I know that I need it. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing. If you want to join, if you want to join me, I will let you know exactly what I'm doing, and uh, you're welcome to do that. So maybe it'll be a good thing for you too. Uh, the third thing, and I think I have a I think I have this goal every year, but um, very excited about taking this new approach to it. Uh, but it is to read more. Um, I've always been told, thank you, Gus, for chiming in. Um, I've always been told that writers are readers and I've always been a reader, but not to the extent that I want to be a reader. And so this year, and it's interesting, so many members of my family, that was kind of one of their goals for the year as well. Like I want to read more books and, 
Um, I want to do less electronic-y kind of stuff and I want to do more reading. So our family, our immediate family, um, we formed a Goodreads group. And so we're kind of, there's a little bit of accountability and sharing and recommendations and all that that goes along with it. And so we, we set up this group on Goodreads. And so we're all sharing what our books are that we're reading. And I think just that alone um, will kind of help us uh, stay committed to that goal to read more. And for me, that's part of this less social media thing too. Less social media, um, more time to be doing that, to be reading. So yeah, that's my goals for that. Um, the last thing is, and I've done this before, but uh, again, it's a little bit more of the quieting of my life. Um, I'm really utilizing the downtime feature on my phone. So for me, that means that from, uh, I think I have it set up for 10, 30 or 11 p.m. to 6 a.m., my phone is on downtime. And so no texts can come in, no notifications, which I, I, I also want to say I get zero notifications on my phone and I've had it that way for years. Um, I don't get any social media alerts. I don't get any uh, email alerts. The only thing that shows up on my phone are texts and most of the texts have hidden alerts. Like there's no sound that goes off. It just shows up on my phone. Um, so that's the only kind of notification that I get on my phone. Um, other than that, I, I, I want to be able to check my email and my social media when I want to. I don't need that constant notifying that there's information that is accessible to me. So for years, I've had no notifications on my phone, but I haven't really utilized the downtime on my phone as much. So I'm doing that more this year from 1030 to 6 a.m. No phone calls can come in. No texts can come in. Um, I don't have access to any apps on my phone during that time. Uh, now, that being said, because some of you are thinking, what about emergencies? So you can go through. Um, I don't know about um, Android stuff, but on an iPhone, you can go in and you can choose which contacts you want to be accessible to you during those downtime hours. So my kids, my husband, my mom, um, those people, if, if texts come in from them, um, those come in, they, those do come in to my phone during those downtime hours. But other than that, I'm just trying to protect my rest time. And part of the reason that I'm doing that is because that's one of the things that I struggle with these days, um, is I can go to bed completely exhausted and feel like I'm going to fall asleep as soon as I hit the pillow and I just don't. And so some nights I wake up a lot, some nights I uh, have trouble falling asleep, all that. And that's all related to some of my treatment and meds and all that kind of stuff. And I'm trying some other things too, but the downtime on my phone, I think is really going to help me to know that um, I just don't have access to that stuff. So anyway, there you go. So those are my four things. Uh, very limited social media, developing, developing a yoga practice, reading more, being intent, more intentional with my reading and building in some accountability there. Um, and not just accountability, but kind of, I guess, fellowship is the word that I would use as far as the Goodreads group that I have. Um, and then downtime hours on my phone. 
So those are the four things. And like I said, those are the things that I'm going to implement this year. And they're designed to help me reach my big goals for the year in the area of creativity and relationships with people. Those are the two things. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I want to share those things, like I said, out of just offering some suggestions to you and ways that maybe you can um, maybe define the compartments in your life a little bit more. Um, I know that, you know, I'm 55 years old and I've been through so many different seasons of life as a young mom and as a busy mom of teens and now an empty nest mom and all those kind of things. And I've been a, uh, I've been through full-time employment and part-time employment and stay at home and all those things. And so every season things have to look different. And so for me in this season, this is what I'm doing. Maybe that will spur you on to think about some of the things that maybe you can do as well. So that's it, everyone. That is it for this episode. Um, there aren't going to be many times when it's just me sharing with you, but I felt like this was a good time to be able to do that, um, kicking off the new year. And like I said earlier, we're going to be having lots of episodes where I'm introducing you to people that I think are amazing and inspirational and motivational and just people that are doing incredible creative work. So for those of you who have just joined for this first episode of the year, I'm so grateful you're here. And to all of you, please share this podcast with anyone who you think might benefit from it. Um, people who just need the encouragement, who need ideas, who are doing incredible creative work. And um, I know that we, we really do need each other. And this little community of creatives that we're building, um, I think is going to be doing just beautiful, beautiful work and putting good things out into the world. So thank you for being here. I'm excited to be with you in the weeks to come. And yeah, I hope you go out into the rest of your day and just make it a great day and look for things that are giving you hope because there are so many things out there to give you hope. And if you can just find one thing today um, that is If you can find just one thing today that is giving you hope to do the next thing, then um, I will be so happy for you in that journey. And uh, yeah, have a great day. And I will see you here next time on The Hopeful Creative. Thank you for being here. I hope you go out and have a great day. Look for those things that are bringing you hope. And I will see you next time on The Hopeful Creative. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Sue, you want to count? One, two, three, four, five. Well, I'm surrounded by... Um, a rose among thorns. A rose, thorn? am a rose among thorns. <laughs> or a thorn among roses. Something. Pearls between the swan. I don't know. Um, Wait a minute. Yeah. No. Um, Anyway, you know, I told you that we were going to have two special guests this month, and voila, um, Sue C. Smith and Gina Bow. Um, these two ladies are, are not only two of my dearest friends, but they're also people who have a lot of wisdom and a lot of, of stuff going on 
a lot of stuff to share. Um, so, um, what I hope this is going to be, we, we, st- we started talking today at breakfast, um, and I was like, okay, let's stop talking because this is everything I want to talk about tonight. So I literally made them halt the conversation <laughs> and, and, and put that on pause. But um, who you partner with is important. Um, and, and hopefully this, this mentoring group facilitates some of that. But even beyond that, it's so important to seek out people that you have um, things in common with, that you have uh, common goals, that you share kind of a like-minded um, approach to writing, but also just the opposite. It's important to, to, to work with people who don't think exactly like you think, who don't, you know, have the exact same opinions and the exact same musical taste that you like because conflict makes everything better. When you can sort of um, hash it out with someone who challenges you and you challenge them, it's always going to be a better result. So this is kind of going to be a conversation about that. So first off, let me introduce Gina Bow. Gina Bow is a Dove Award-winning songwriter. Uh, she does a lot of different things. She is an author. She has a wonderful podcast that's called... Uh, it's called The Hopeful Creative. The Hopeful Creative. And, and I'm, I'm one of her hopeful creatives that, that was a guest on the podcast, so check it out. Um, and and uh, Gina is a songwriter for Sunset Gallery, which is um, my company. And Gina also, not, not, I don't even know how to say this, not unimportantly for this conversation, Gina is a cancer survivor and someone that has not always had the easiest road to travel when it comes to writing and, and sort of keeping the creative self going. And yet, she is one of the most entrepreneurial spirits I know even through the hardships and even through a lot of the things. So we're gonna talk a little bit about some of that later. Um, And then Susie Smith needs no introduction. Um, Of course, Dove Award winner. Um, Sue is is one of the the most loved lyricists and most prolific lyricists in the industry. Uh, She writes all genres of music and has received so many awards and accolades and they're all well-deserved. And I'm lucky enough to get to write with both of these ladies. And um, one of the things that I think is kind of important to mention in this conversation, when COVID hit, the three of us started trying to write on a fairly regular basis. Um, Now, of course the pandemic was tough and it it was tough on everyone. But the three of us kind of navigated those waters in a little different way. Um, One, as most of you know, Sue lost her husband and her mother um, during the COVID crisis. And Gina was diagnosed with cancer and, and I was diagnosed with my amyloidosis and all the other many, many things wrong with me. Um, but what was really beautiful about our relationship, and this is one of the reasons why it's important to have a tribe, 
is we kind of kept each other sane during the COVID um, period. And, and it was a great, it was a great time to kind of lean on each other. Um, I can honestly say for me personally, there were so many days that if I didn't have a co-write with these two, I would have just stayed in bed because I didn't feel like getting up and writing and I didn't feel like being creative. And I certainly didn't feel like sitting at a piano and trying to pound out a melody, but we did. And, and there were days when Gina didn't feel like it. There were days when I know Sue didn't feel like, you know, putting on the brave face and showing up, but we did. And I think that's an important thing when you're trying to find your songwriting tribe is to find people that will show up for you and people that you will show up for. And, and that's important because to be honest, every songwriter I know deals with things like depression, deals with things like ADD and ADHD, deals with things like procrastination, deals with things. We're not necessarily known for being the most organized and, um, and people who, who stay on top of things. We look for reasons to cancel because we're creatives. Um, so it's kind of important that you find someone in your tribe that you want to get up for that you want to show up for, that you want to put on your best for. And, and that's what I appreciate about this relationship that I have with these two ladies. Now, just so you know, we are actually, um, Sue's brother has a cabin um, in Illinois and we are on a little riding retreat there, which is why we're all together, um, which is wonderful, which is a great thing if you find people that you really click with, find times to do that, find times to do that. Um, so I've got some questions for these, for these two that we're going to talk about, but really I want this to be more of a conversation. So seriously, if you have questions or comments, feel free to post those, but I really want to talk just about a lot of different aspects of the music industry. One of the things that I want to talk about, all of you guys live somewhere besides Nashville. Uh, Rhonda and Jacqueline are the closest um, but, but writing and trying to have a successful songwriting life outside of Nashville can be a challenge. Um, Gina lives in Nebraska. Sue lives in Nashville now, but that's a fairly recent occurrence. And for years, um, Sue lived in St. Louis. When I first met Sue, I believe I'm correct in this, she was coming to town a week, a quarter. Mm -hmm. and, and then she started coming every other week for a lot of years, making that five and a half hour drive every other week. She was driving to Nashville, driving home, driving to Nashville, driving home. So the first thing I wanna ask, I'm gonna ask you first, Gina, how important is it to have a Nashville presence living in Nebraska? I think it depends on what your expectations are. Okay. Um, and what opportunities you want to try to make the most of. Um, for me, I started coming to Nashville, um, I don't remember what year it was, but it was once, probably once a quarter for a few days, and then it got to be four days out of every month and then it's kind of been different 
I don't know, it's been different all the time. And now that I am able to write online a lot, that's changed too. But um, I mean, the reality for me has been, I know that there are certain opportunities that I don't have access to because I do not live there. And because I don't get there as often as, you know, as I could choose to be there, I guess. Um, but I think, you know, again, it depends on what your expectations are. There are people to write with all over the country that you can find ways to write with them, whether that's online or that's people in your community, in your, in your sphere. Um, but if my expectation is to have, have access to certain artists or certain publishers, then I think it does demand that I at least show my face occasionally in Nashville. Um, and especially when I was just first starting to come to Nashville, it re I really needed to show my face there more often. Now that I've built some of those relationships, I maybe don't feel the need as much. But again, I know there are still opportunities that I miss out on because I'm not there. Um, and that's just been a choice on my part. I love that you said expectations because I have, I have most of the writers who write for my company do not live in Nashville. Only a couple of them do. Um, and I've got a couple in particular that are always so jealous of other writers. And I'm like, they live there. They live there. It's a different world, you know? And so you have to adjust your expectations mm -hmm. for, for your reality. Um, the reality is when you live in Nashville, you bump into artists at the grocery store who need songs, you know, and, and that is a very, or that you go to church with him. <laughs> that, that, that was another thing, you know, not living in Nashville, you have to adjust your expectations and, and expect the results of, of your reality, you know? Um, but that doesn't mean you can't be a viable writer. And well, and you mentioned earlier that, I definitely have an entrepreneurial part to my journey, but that has been because I made the decision that if I'm not going to have those kinds of opportunities, I'm gonna create my own opportunities to get my songs out there. Whether that's me recording them or creating some kind of production or something where I am able to unleash songs that I care about. And so that's where I've just, I've realized I've had to kind of make some opportunities that are different from what Nashville would afford me. Yeah, that's great. Okay, Sue, now I know this story, but if I'm correct, many, many years ago, on your way home from a vacation, your husband, John, just kind of dropped you off in Nashville <laughs> yes. and said, go write songs, yes. right? Very, very early, like before dawn, one morning, and... He got me a hotel room. I had had an invitation from Dave Clark to um, come to town and I hadn't co-written and he said, come to town and let's try writing together. So um, John got me a hotel room and said, call Dave, write with Dave, come home in a few days. So Dave didn't know you were coming? Yeah, he knew. I was oh, oh, he did, okay. Yeah. But it's been, honestly, it's been so long ago at this point that I've kind of forgotten some of the details. Because I just have this vision of John just like stopping the car and saying, get out and go right. And you were like, uh. Well, it felt like that in a way. But um, 
I, I do remember very clearly, it was when uh, the Benson Company was over on Great Circle, and I had so many albums that were recorded at Great Circle Sound. So to walk into that building that day and go into a little writing room with Dave to attempt to do something I had never done, and that was write a song with somebody else, it was insane. Uh, it was a little crazy, but once I got a little taste of co-writing, it was like, oh, yeah, this uh, I'm going to do this as much as I can. So At that point, had you written? I had written a lot of songs on my own, but anybody who has ever heard my melodies will be like, yeah, co-writing is was probably a good idea for you. I can still sing the first Susie Smith song I ever heard. Keep rolling <laughs> on. Yeah. Keep rolling on. Yeah. Keep rolling How did that on. Happen? Keep singing a song. <laughs> Keep rolling. That was a yeah. big hit for the Florida Boys. It was yeah, a title it was, cut. It was. And they played it on the radio station where I lived all the time. Yeah. And so when I met Sue Smith, I was just like, oh, she wrote Keep Rolling by herself. But I had this impression. I thought Sue had short black hair. And I thought she smoked cigarettes. Because for some reason, I'd heard about somebody named Sue Smith. And I was like, keep rolling. Oh, I thought that was Sue Sue Smith. I don't know why that has to do with anything. But that's um, kind of crazy. But anyway, so, so one of the things that I've admired the most about you, Sue, is just your tenacity. Driving five and a half to six hours not only through all kinds of weather, but even through all kinds of situations in life when things are going on and you still made the... What was it that compelled you? Was it the, was it the, the desire to write? Was it the, um, the fear of missing out? Was it the... It's probably a combination of a lot of those things, but I just had this passion for writing, for the process. And, you know, I, it, I can honestly say over, I made the drive every other week for over 20 years. And there was, I could probably count on one hand the number of times I ever faced that drive where I was like, ugh, I don't want to get in the car and do this. And the only thing I can really say is that God sovereignly said, I am going to give you the gift of driving. And so I just got in the car and went. And he also gave me a husband who never once said, I don't want you to go. And so we, I think a lot of our friends thought our relationship was kind of crazy doing it the way we did it and every so often I would say to John are you sure we're good with this and he would always say we've talked about this we're fine let's you know and so we were partners and I considered him an equal partner in every song I wrote he didn't have the publishing but <laughs> he didn't get his name on it but um, well I mean I really believe your success, yes, yes, you have incredible talent, but a lot of people have incredible talent. 
And I really believe that God has honored your tenacity and your perseverance. I, you know, and I don't know where that comes from, except, um, except that God did it. I, I would be the first to say there are other people who have uh, more talent. They have more of a variety of gifts. They're able to do more different things than I am. And I just have focused, you know, early on when I started hearing the other melodies people could write to, the, to my lyrics. And when I realized how much I had to learn about writing a lyric, I decided right then I was gonna focus on the thing I was most passionate about. And every song I've ever heard the thing I remember about it is what it said and how it made me feel when it said nothing. And so it just, you know, seemed logical to me that if I focused on the thing I was best at and most passionate about, it would work out somehow. If there's a, a strength that I have, it's the being adaptable part. Yeah, I, I, and I, you are one of the most adaptable people I know. So here's my question for both of you. When do you fight for the line and when do you change it? Is it just a gut thing? You just Sometimes look? I think it's a gut thing. I think sometimes it depends on who I'm writing with. Like if you really trust your co-writers and they're like, I think this line needs to be different. I, it's easier for me to let go and go, okay, you're probably right. And maybe there's times when I just, I don't know. It, sometimes maybe it depends on how personal it is to me. I don't know. There, there are... I've just learned there are very few hills to die on when it comes to that kind of thing. You know, it's, it, I don't want to ever hold something so precious that I feel like I can't be open to change. But even if you feel like what's proposed is a lesser, is a lesser lyric, do you, do you, do you sometimes feel like, boy, it would have been stronger if we could have stuck with that, but I, you know. I think that's where it becomes so important, the, the element of trust mm -hmm. and respect between co-writers. Because if one of you said to me, I'm not really sold on that. First of all, my experience is that you may persuade me to give in on something that's a lesser line, but I will never be completely satisfied with that song. And so generally, I think the best thing to do is if you don't agree Keep writing mm -hmm. until you get a line that you both agree on. I, 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 that's a great advice because I think I want everybody to walk out of the co-write feeling really, really good about the song. And if somebody, if somebody doesn't, I, I won't be happy. You yeah. know, I won't feel like we're all on the same page. And so I think you just keep yeah. pressing until and you're both happy. I've heard in a lot of mentoring situations, I've had people tell me, well, it was a three-way right, and I got outvoted. And I want to go, whoa, it's not a democracy, all right? So it's not that. It's keep writing till everybody's happy. How do you say no to a line or to a thought or to a, an idea? 
It's happened today already. We've, we've, we've been here. This is our second day here. So we've already, yeah. we've already. Well, first of all, you have to toughen up a little bit. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you have to realize that everything you throw out there is not going to have people go, oh, wow, you know. And so when they do go, oh, wow, that's really great. But, you know, I had a situation the last couple of days where, you know, I was told, I don't really like We that. all have. We all have. We all have. Um, but that's part of co-writing. Of course. But that goes back to the trust, too. Mm -hmm. um, and I told the two of them just earlier in a joking sort of way that it's really the truth. They have no idea how desperately I want their approval for the things I say. So, you know, that works to your advantage because... Even though Gina and Joel are two of my best friends in the world, um, I, you know, that I'm not just like, okay, let's sit down and write a song. Like, to sit down with them is a privilege. And I want to bring my best to it. I want to come with good ideas. Or I want to, when one of them suggests something, I want to have the ability to jump on board that train with all I've got and, mm -hmm. and go with it. Yeah, I think I think that's number one. I think that's a fair analysis. We all we all want to to impress our co-writers. We all want to to walk in a room and and wow whoever we're writing with. No matter even if it's someone we've been writing with for mm -hmm. 25, 30 years, however long it's yeah. been. Um, you know, we all we all want that, and so so how do you get there? First off, you walk in the room prepared. Mm -hmm. You know, the one thing I know with both of these is that <laughs> both of these ladies um, <laughs> is that we're going to have so many ideas to choose from. It's like a smorgasbord, and we can just pick and choose whatever idea hits us the hardest, or if somebody has something specific they want to write, we're going to jump on it. Even, even if it's not necessarily, you know, if I bring an idea that may not be something that's just, you know, Sue's passion in the moment, you know, she's going to serve the song as a favor to me as her co-writer because we're friends and we're partners and we're, we've developed that trust. So that's one thing that you, you, you want to look for in a co-writer, but you also want to give to a co-writer. You want to give to a co-writer. I, I heard someone say recently, you know, when they walk out of a, of a business meeting, they ask themselves, how did I serve my business partners? And I think that's a beautiful thing to ask us when we walk out of a co-writing session. How did I serve my co-writers. It certainly doesn't serve them by not giving your best, and it doesn't even serve them by by telling them you love a line that you don't like. That doesn't serve them because that doesn't serve the song. It doesn't make the song better. Mm -hmm. But to to be able to develop a relationship and a language that 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 tells the truth in love that yeah. says, you know, I know for us, if one of us throws out a line. And there's silence. You start looking for another line. Mm -hmm. Because we may not say, oh, that stinks. 
And we may not even think, oh, that stinks. But what we know is that that's not the line we're looking for. Let's keep looking. Yeah. You know. And I think almost always, instead of somebody going, I don't really like that, it always ends up a question. Mm-hmm. Like, is there a way we could say this without, because mm-hmm. that word feels maybe a little clunky or... Um, buttery. I, yeah. <laughs> a little buttery. That's been our word for the last couple of days. <laughs> I also think, for the most part, we're trying to write songs for for the masses. Like we're trying to write songs in a way that makes a song that somebody else can own and sing it. If I there are songs that I want to write for my own sanity, my own healing, my own personal experience that I may that I may write by myself or I may come to you and go, you know what, this song really isn't for that. But will you write this song with me to help me give voice to this? But I think for the most part, especially like the last couple of days, we're trying to write songs that will be general enough, I guess is that the word, mm-hmm. where we can hand these off to somebody to sing. And if I'm too precious about a line that I feel so strongly about, chances are I'm too close to it that I need you guys to help me get some distance so that I can, so that it can be, so that the song can be owned by somebody else and they can sing it out of their experience. Or we just had a situation, the song we just finished, where we wrote two last verses, one for us and one for, for others. Find a way to communicate. Find a way to communicate. Find a way to say no and find a way to say yes. You know, but you can do that within a, a sphere of kindness, within a, with, with so much respect. <laughs> I, think I, I think the bottom line for me is I value you guys more than I value yes, the song we're writing. Yes. So that is the trump card all the time. Yeah. I, I, I treat you a certain way because I love you and, it's, and I value our relationship more than the song we're working on. Right. I love that. And that's always important. That's always important. Um, but to walk away feeling great about a song typically is just um, the shared voice. Because a song, anything we write should not sound like three people wrote it. It should sound like one person wrote it. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you've got to get on the same page. You've got to speak the same language. You've got to, you know, if there's a word that, that Gina wouldn't say, well, I don't want to say it either. Another thing that I want to know from you guys is how do you pick, I mean, not us, but how do you pick your co-writers? How do you, how do you write with people? Do you... Well... I can only say the scenario that I'm in right now because my time to write is so limited because I'm working, you know, multiple jobs and I have other responsibilities and whatever. The list of people that I write with right now is pretty small because it's determined by that. And, and the time that I do have to write, I want to write with people that I know I can be productive with, that I know I'm going to enjoy the process. Um, so right now in my life, that that kind of dictates that for me. I don't know if that's... What about in a time when you... How, how did you pick your co-writers? How did you find other people to write with? Maybe back, um, when, back when you were maybe newer? Or... Sometimes it was 
be because somebody else that I knew pulled me into a co-write, you know, that, and it ended up being like Sue. I know there were times that you introduced me to new co-writers when I was first writing and, and the three of us wrote together. And then there were times when, you know, I would write with that person. But um, I, I just always tried to be open to writing with anybody at least one time, you know, to go, mm -hmm. let's give this a shot and see what happens. And I think if I knew that, I mean, I, I write both lyrics and melody, but I would say I'm primarily a lyricist. And so if I knew that somebody wrote melodies that I was drawn to, that I would maybe pursue writing with them. And Okay, so now, even though you, you write with a small group of people, are you the initiator or are you the... As far as like setting up appointments and yeah. stuff? Um, I suppose it goes both ways. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, I have like three standing co-rides every week, so that's like on my schedule. And I try to um, allow a certain um, number of spots every month to be for maybe new co-rides. Um, that'll be small, but, but I'm always open to that. How often do you how often do you pursue a new co-writer? Do you ask someone to write? Do you or do you, or is it more just an I couldn't give you a number or percentage. But do you do that? that? Do you Oh initiate? absolutely. Like if I if I meet somebody that I know some things they've written mm -hmm. um, and I'm kind of shy about asking people I think sometimes I, maybe people think, oh, you know, that's nothing for you to ask somebody else. But, you know, my worst nightmare is to have somebody go, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> you know, if I have met somebody a couple of different times and we've kind of chatted and it felt friendly, then I might say, Let, we should write together sometime. Let's do that. And then the ball is kind of in their court to take the next step to pursue it, you know. And I, if I, if they were like, oh yeah, let's do that sometime. Well, I might do that twice and if it, they don't respond or, you know, engage back, then I would let it go. Because there are lots of people to write with, truthfully. Um, could I just quickly go back to when we were talking about writing outside of Nashville? Because when I was driving back and forth all those years, it was rare that I wrote or even heard about people who did not live in Nashville who were writing on a regular basis. But I think that it started to change over the last couple of decades. And then the pandemic sort of put the nail in it. And now I am just as likely to write with somebody over Zoom as I am to write with them in person. Yeah. And if they're over Zoom, it makes no difference if they're in Hendersonville or Nebraska. I mean, we live in three different locations. And right. so we're, that's 99% of the time, mm -hmm. that's what we're doing. Um, David had a question that I love. Do you go into your co-write with objectives or a certain number of songs, or do you set aside the time and see what comes out of it? I mean, my objective is, is the same every time. I go in thinking I want to write a great song. 
And I think there are there are people that I write with that I think we can we can get that done in a session. Mm-hmm. And then there are people that maybe it's a first time co write or something that I'm like this this may be about today may not be about getting a song done it may be about the next time we write together. Mm-hmm. But I think my goal every time I go in is to is to write something that I love. How often do you have a specific goal in mind? Like a specific. Yeah, kind like, of song I want to write. Yeah, like you, like like you, like an assignment. How often do you say I want to try to write a song for Sela or, or I want to write a song for? I think this? I think most of the time now, most yeah. of, most of the time I'm trying to write for a certain cut or a certain slot on a project. Or it isn't very often that I show up and we're just like not really shooting at some target. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right because. I think if you write for some somebody specific that you maybe know is looking or is coming around, then even if it doesn't work for them, it's gonna be fit into a genre enough that'll work for somebody. Mm-hmm. But if you write with nobody in mind, then there's a greater possibility that it fits nobody. Mm-hmm. I always try to at least attach a goal toward an idea. Um, and even when we're writing this week, you know, we're thinking about, okay, so, so what are you thinking about this? Like who would do this? You know, and that may not be where we started out. Like we may have just started out throwing out an idea, but somewhere pretty early on in the process, we're going to attach a, at least a definite style to it. I also think sometimes it's good to go in thinking, <clears throat> At what part of an artist concert would they sing this? Would the could this be an opener? Is it that you know uh, thing that they come back after the intermission with, or you know it's their big ballad moment? So obviously, if you're doing that, then the more concerts you go to, the more you get a sense of what people are doing. In any 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 time you write with a specific purpose. Whether it's, it's, okay, we're going to write a wedding song, or we're going to write, we wrote a, a, a call to worship earlier today. Anytime you can write something specific and come in with an objective, it's always better to point something and to target something. I don't think we ever walk, I mean, in a, in a normal co-write, you always think of just one song, probably. Mm-hmm. But, but like in a retreat or something like this, I don't ever think about we need to write a certain number of songs. Mm-hmm. We joked about it this time, but... Uh, we're probably not going to write 27. Uh, <laughs> this, um, but we're, you know, we're here trying to to write specific things, even though it's not, we're going to try to write 17 songs. You know, I'm always going to go for quantity, I mean, quality over quantity any day. You know, that's always going to be, I would rather, I, you know, we're here for two and a half days. I would rather spend two and a half days writing one great song, then feel like we're just cranking them out, cranking them out, cranking them out. And, and I know they share that, so. But yeah. I don't worry about the number. And the truth is, like every co-write's gonna be different. So some co-writes you're gonna go into and something will just click and it'll happen really quickly. And there will be others that will be like a slog through mud for every line. 
and I've found over the years that neither one indicates the value or the depth or the success of that song. It just is what it is. So don't think that because a song spilled out really quickly that that means, oh, you know, God has anointed this song. Because like I've had songs that took over a year eventually to write. Mm -hmm. I had one that actually took three full, I mean, not just tweaking, three full different versions of the same idea over the course of eight years before we got a song that we liked and it got cut. So, you know, just treat every song as its own thing. And I, and I feel like it's really weird. I feel like, because I write with quite a few different people and I feel like with different people, I have a different method. And so I have co-writers that, that when we get together to write, I know it's going to be a slow unfolding of that idea. And I've learned not to stress out about it, even though, you know, I'll get together with other writers and typically the three of us write pretty quickly. Um, but that's not always the case. And like Sue said, that's not always better. It's just different. It's just, that's how, that's how you write with people. And, and sometimes, sometimes for me, depending on the idea, boy, I just have to process it. And sometimes I just really rebel against the thought that I've got to walk in a room and write this in two hours. Because, you know, you present me with a pro with a, uh, with a, an idea that's intricate, that's, that's deep. And I don't want to just flip a switch and crank it out. I want to, I want to research it. I want to take time to really mull over what different avenues can this take and should it take and how can we make this the best idea and i think sometimes if you just crank it out you don't give yourself time to to analyze it you know that's one of the reasons why i love you know y'all have all heard me talk about writing by myself one of the things that i love about writing myself with on certain ideas is it gives me time to chew on it well, one of the things that I'm amazed with both of you is you both write a lot, volume-wise. Mm -hmm. How do you find new ideas? How do you keep coming up with new ideas? Are you deliberate about it? Does, do they just kind of come to you? Do you depend on your co-writers for that? I have found that the more I'm writing, the more my brain just... It's like my antenna is up and I'm... I'm able to identify ideas more often, if that makes sense. Like I, I just, I don't know. I just think that I have to challenge myself to live like a writer all the time. And that means that I am always looking for ideas. And so, but I find that the more, it's like, it's like exercising any kind of muscle. The more you use it, the better you get at identifying, oh, I could write about that. Oh, I could write about that. And so I find that in seasons when I'm more prolific, it's like, oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm finding an idea here or I'm finding an idea here. But I'm also trying to live intentionally, just almost like training my brain to go, okay, I, I want to be. And you know what? I, I pray for it. <laughs> I, I pray that God would open my eyes and my ears to identify things that I could write about. Yeah. yeah. I try to be really intentional about 
uh, filling my mind with other people's good writing. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of times not other songwriting. It's just like reading books, listening to books, reading the Bible, reading um, devotional books. And, you know, and, you know, it feels like sometimes the more I go, oh, I'm writing with Joel and Gina, I've got to have ideas. Then it's like, nope, nothing's <laughs> happening. And then it's like, you know, when you let go and go do something else. That's why I, I've heard other songwriters say, go cut your grass, go dust the furniture, or, you know, just do something that's kind of mindless because that mind that's kind of at rest, that's when ideas start to churn up, when you've like fed the lake with good mm -hmm. stuff. Check, one, two, three, check. Check, one, two, three, check. Check, one, two, three, check. Check, check, check. Check, one, two, three, four, five, check. Check, one, two.